0: okay everyone good evening good evening yeah. good good take that much better much better response you all sound a bit flat like you've watched Arsenal just get beat by Chelsea or something like I have this afternoon pretty miserable hope you've had a good day good afternoon hope you've had a good week good month good Christmas I don't know if you um, love Christmas I don't know if you enjoy this time of year we're in that kind of funny phase just now, aren't we, between kind of Christmas and New Year, which can be a wee bit, bit, bit of a limbo, a bit, kind of just n- neither here nor there. And uh, when Brian was divvying up, who would speak in various Sundays when, was when he was doing his sabbatical. Like I got this Sunday, and he said, "Listen, it's actually a really great Sunday to stop and re-evaluate and take stock for the the year that has been and the year that's to come, and uh, just." Reflect, basically, and I thought that's what we would do today. And then we were praying tonight, and uh, at the pre-service prayer when we get together and pray for the the night service, and somebody was going to brought up a couple of times that this actually is the last sermon you might hear this decade. And I thought that's a bit of pressure, isn't it? You're not just reflecting on the year that has been and the year that is to come; you're possibly reflecting on the the decade that has been, the decade that is to come, but. I think it's a great thing to do it's an important thing to do i like december and um I, I, I every december i take time to try and reflect in the year and think about good things bad things and then try and think about the next year and i will often write in a list of or draw actually i'll show you this in a minute draw what i'd love to see god do i call them hags, an expression i heard somebody say years and years ago and hag stands for big hairy audacious goals things that are amazing and as, as, as the year has gone on it's it's become something that's either big miraculous things or often just simple things and I've got a list it's illegible and I won't read out so I don't embarrass my wife and my kids or anything like that but things that I'm praying for God to do in kind of various aspects of my life and it's fantastic to do that at the, at the start of the year and then review it towards the end of the year and I've got my list here for 2019 and you can maybe you can't see it from all the way back but I've got things that have ticked And it's a bit like Laura was saying about fasting week, when you kind of say, God, will you do this this year? And you can say, and I've got ticks and I've got some dates there of things I prayed for that God did. So, what I hope that we do today is just take time to reflect and think a wee bit about the year that has been and think ahead to the year that might come and maybe look to what God might be saying to us around that. As I was trying to work out what to talk about around those themes, it kind of came to me a weekend, the last weekend in November. On a Saturday, this particular Saturday, my son and I uh, often get together and we'll read the Bible, we'll go to KFC usually, there are other junk food places just for the sake of uh, no, no favoritism, KFC and we'll get the Bible out and we do what we call BBC Boys Bible Chat and it's really simple, get the Bible out, read a chapter, talk about it, pray about it, eat lots of uh, fried chicken, lots of ketchup and go home. And this particular Sunday, we read First Samuel 3. And as we were talking about things that we both find interesting in the chapter, I was sharing how verse 7 really spoke to me. And it talks about Samuel not really knowing God because God hadn't been revealed to him. And I find that really interesting. And we talked about that a wee bit. Then the following day was a Sunday, and we were here again at church, and it was at the back of church for, again, another pre-service prayer and when we do pre-service prayer, if you've been you will know this we pray a lot and then we take time to listen and hear what God is saying and it was the very first Sunday of Advent and as, I, as we were listening the kind of thing that came to me was how the season of Advent was actually a season of revelation and the Christmas season was actually really a season of God's revelation God revealing himself to us in the fullest, truest possible way in Jesus and that kind of seemed to kind of crystallise in my mind the reality of the fact, or remind me afresh that God is a God of revelation. God is in the revelation business, and that's what we're going to do tonight: is look at some things in this, in in the book of first, in the chapter, sorry, First Samuel three that talk about, show us God revealing Himself. Looking at the three people that we see in this chapter. So it's a long chapter. If it's up on the screen, we're going to dive right in, and we'll read right through it. So 1 Samuel 3 verse 1. If you haven't got a Bible, it's cool. It should be up. And it is up on the screen. And it says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then, the Lord called Samuel Samuel answered here I am and he ran to Eli and said here I am you called me but Eli said I did not call go back and lie down so he went and lay down again the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said here I am you called me my son Eli said I did not call go back and lie down and the key verse Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But God called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, here I am. What is it that he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely if you hide hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is God. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. So the first guy we see in this story is Samuel, who was possibly about 11 years of age at this point. And what we see in this chapter is that Samuel is involved in the fabric of the temple. we read that he sleeps in the temple in the morning. He's the one who opens the door. He's maybe the temple janny, if you like. Uh, who would have been involved in setting up stuff for the services. He'd have been involved in taking stuff down. Um, He'd have been involved in the very fabric, the business of the temple. The second thing we can see or know about Samuel is that if he was a boy, he grew up in that kind of culture. He would have been steeped in the traditions uh, of that culture. He would have known and memorized bits of the Bible as they had it then, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, known it inside out. He may have memorized some of the older Psalms like Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses, for example, or the bits of the Bible that go way back, known them, the story of Job possibly, known the Bible and bits of it inside out. More than that, we see in this chapter that Samuel actually slept within meters, yards of the ark of God. So Samuel lived pretty much 24-7 close to the very presence of God, the ark of God. And when you think about that, verse 7 just is startling. That despite the fact that he was in and around the temple, in and around church, as it was in and around the very presence of God. We read in verse seven that he did not yet know the Lord. The word Lord not been revealed to him. And whenever I see this kind of theme in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it always jumps out and gets my attention because what the what this verse shows or what it reminds me is that it is actually possible to be really involved in church activity, really involved in church stuff, really busy with church life, and yet not really know God, not really be involved with God. And as someone like myself who's involved in leadership here at Hope, who comes to meetings, who leads stuff, who reads the Bible, it jumps out and gets my attention. And I would say that for any of us here at this church who are involved in leadership, involved in some of the teams, involved in staff, or if you have a life pattern that is very kind of churchy with a lot of church activity, then this should also get your attention that it is possible to be full of a lot of church and Christian activity and not really be engaged with God. And we see it here, and I think we need to remember this, that business for God is not the same as knowing god business for god god stuff church stuff is not not the same as knowing god we see this in samuel we see it in the new testament as well because jesus calls it out and some of the guys he talks to the pharisees that he talks to in john chapter 5 jesus is talking to the pharisees about a variety of things and dialoguing with them Uh, and and he says you guys you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I find that as somebody who tries to read the Bible regularly, I find that really challenging. That these were guys who were diligently studying the Bibles, diligently they, it, they knew it, they memorized it and yet when Christ was around walking God was in the flesh walking around them. They didn't totally miss it. So, a good life check for you at this point, particularly if you're involved in the fabric and life of our church or any church or you work full time or you're involved in NAVs, whatever it is that you do, is in amongst all that stuff that you do, when, how, have you really encountered God in a year that's just been? Have you? Or has it all been hollow? And I think a time like now is fantastic because it's great to stop, think, and reflect and ask yourself that. It's so important that we don't miss that, that all our busyness for God doesn't actually miss God. And as you go into the new year, the new decade, how could you know God more in the midst of your busyness for God? So that's the first guy we see in this story is Samuel. Samuel the second guy that we see in this story is Eli and um, in the Bible there are guys who are like good guys you know heroes of the Bible you know do great things for God they're not always perfect but they're generally good guys yeah people get named after them David Samuel Paul guys like that all the names that you guys no one's called Judas for example I don't think Judas Priest but by and large, these are the heroes of the Bible, good guys. And then there are guys who are kind of villains of the Bible, like Judas, like uh, Goliath. not many Goliaths, I don't think, generally speaking. This guy, Eli, is kind of neither here nor there. He does some good things and some bad things, and it's kind of a wee bit bland. And actually, the first two chapters leading to this story in chapter 3 reveal this about Eli. In chapter 1, we see Eli, and he's in a temple doing his business, and he comes across a woman who's praying she's breaking her heart she's grieving, uh, and she can't have any kids and he finds out that's what the problem is and he prays over her it's a fantastic thing to do if you remember Brian, Brian preached about that in the Samuel series about that prayer that Eli prayed and we all prayed it for Brian and prayed it for ourselves and it's a powerful thing to do and we see that God answers that prayer it's fantastic brilliant good Eli chapter 2 not so good terrible Eli Because we see in chapter 2 that Eli's sons who'd gotten involved in some of the stuff in the temple were terrible. They literally were a disgrace to the father. They were getting involved in the sacrifices and things people were bringing to sacrifice to God. They were taking it for themselves, which is ridiculous and dangerous if you really know God. Stupid. Um, They were doing that sort of stuff. But we also read kind of heartbreaking that they were also exploiting people. Sexually, and they were sleeping with girls who were involved uh, in a certain service around the church. And as I was kind of preparing this talk, I kind of feel like God gave me a word around that particular thing, that issue of people being abused or exploited sexually. Because I can imagine that one, two, three people in our church will have had a torrid year because of that. That somebody somewhere has used the power over you to exploit you or taken advantage of you. And I feel like God wants us to kind of stop and just note that. Psalm 56, verse 8, if something's up, yeah, great. Brian spoke this verse to the church about before he left at some point last month. And it's a great picture. It's David in a difficult, difficult, difficult place. Life's tough. And he is breaking his heart and he's praying to God and he says, you yourself have recorded my wanderings. I love the next line put my tears in your bottle other versions say put my tears in your wineskin. and it's this picture of somebody being broken and crying in a dark place, a secret place and your tears rather than falling to the ground are collected by God and put in a bottle precious to him so if that's you and you've been a victim of somebody's evil uh, this past year then you need to know that God sees you in your pain God knows what you've been through He sees it. If no one else has seen it He has seen it. And the second thing we see in this chapter which is really important is that God will give you justice God will give you justice God will always give you justice God cannot cannot abide in justice. God's very nature is that He is a just God and he can't let things go that are unfair asking God to be unjust I was thinking this asking God to be unjust or unfair would literally be like asking me to turn white okay it's just just could not ever ever happen it's just not my nature or my character and God is like that in the sense God is black maybe is. Yes. but the point is that God God is God cannot be unjust he cannot be unjust he will give you justice. So if you've had a torrid year, please know that. God has seen it. God will give you justice. So back to Eli. So Eli, chapter one, good. Chapter two, terrible. Chapter three, good Eli. Be like Eli in this chapter. Because in verse eight and verse nine, the third time that God comes to get Eli, sorry, Samuel, it is Eli who realizes penny drops and it's Eli who says maybe that's God and actually if that's God this is what you need to do go back, lie down and say this to respond to God and Eli does something that's really important, really important which is he points Samuel towards God, he's the one who connects Samuel to God and sets Samuel on on, on the path that he goes on and I think as we kind of stop and reflect, it's important to really appreciate that. I want to say something that's theologically iffy in a minute. So wait for it. But before I come to it, there is something about God, there's something about God and how he works and something about how he's designed it that his primary, primary means of revelation is other people. The primary way that God speaks to people is through people. Yes, sometimes you get angels, you get visions. Sometimes you can have dreams. But the primary way that God reveals himself to people is through other people. And the theological iffy thing is that you are maybe God's only plan to reach people around you. That God, God hasn't got a plan B. That's a bit iffy. A bit iffy. You know God's omnipotent. But the point is that you, you're God's primary plan to reach those around you in your sphere of influence. So, what I want to do to wake you all up is get you all stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up your feet. Shake it off. Taylor Swift, shake it off, shake it off. So, we did the Hero Israel about 10 minutes ago. We're going to do this reading together. And I think it's important to really own this. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to count you in, okay? Three, two, one. I am God's main plan for revealing himself to those around me in 2020. One more time. I am God's main plan for revealing himself to those around me in 2020. Great. You guys are good. Evening service guys are good. Yeah. Really important to understand that. Really important to understand that, that you are the ones that God has sent to those around you who don't know him. A verse that really distills us is Paul. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 10. And Paul asks these rhetorical questions. First of all, he starts off with a nice statement. A statement you may have heard before. A very popular statement. Which is, everyone, everyone, who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls, anyone and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a fantastic statement, isn't it? It's a great statement. Then he follows it up with questions, rhetoric. And he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them how will your friends how will your family how will your classmates how will your work colleagues how will your mom, dad, brother, sister grandma, grandpa how will they hear about Jesus in 2020 if you don't tell them It's a great thing to think about going into a new year, isn't it? Life check for us at this point. How many people in your sphere of influence did you talk to about Jesus in 2019? And by that, I mean going beyond just, I go to church and I'm a Christian, or maybe I don't go to church and I'm not a Christian, but actually about the person of Jesus and his impact in your life your interaction with your relationship with him how you pray to him how he has answered your prayers how he's involved in your marriage your parenting uh, your friends uni work your job how many people did you tell about Jesus last year this year how many people did you tell about Jesus next year one two one a week one a month one a day But as we go into a new year, it's a great thing to think about, isn't it? Because we, we are the agents that God has left to tell people about him. Last person in this story is God himself. And I was saying, this this passage makes me think a lot about kind of God being a God of revelation, God, God who loves to reveal himself, but in the interest of honesty, you have to note how the story starts off. The story starts off in verse 1b of uh, chapter chapter 3 with the phrase, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And so what we see in those days is that God was quiet. God wasn't speaking. And when we look at the Bible, there are two classical situations two scenarios where God is quiet the first one is what we see in 1st Samuel here where there has been a, par- a pattern of disobedience a rebellion or neglect of God's command and eventually God goes quiet not in a huff but just a quietness that says you don't want to hear what I've got to say so I won't speak to you because you've chosen to reject me you've rejected me so I will be quiet that's the first kind of scenario we see when God is quiet in the Bible. The second scenario that we see when God is quiet in the Bible are times of well, like spiritual deserts when people who are obeying God and walking with God are just in a place where they can't hear or see uh, can't see God or hear from God. And I don't know what 2019 may have been like for you. It may have been a season, you may have patches or months. Of God's silence, maybe you're in that place right now. Where God is quiet, and if He is, and I would really challenge you to try and work out which of the two situations you fall into, because they need opposite things. The remedy for God's silence, or what to do, is the opposite, depending on where you're at. If you're in a place of repeated disobedience to God, a rebellion, a disobedience, uh, or, or or ignoring God's commands, then you need to turn back. Because if you don't, you're on a path towards destruction. We see that in Samuel in this chapter. But if you're in a place where God is silent and you know in your hearts, you search your heart and you know that there isn't anything that I'm doing that God hasn't asked me not to be doing, and where I am is where God wants me to be, be, then you need to keep going. And that can be difficult if in particular God is quiet and times are hard. But you have to keep going. So if that's you and you're in a place where God is silent, take time to reflect and think about what's happening. But the thing I love about this, that we see about God, and I think we cannot state it enough, cannot be stated enough, is that God comes for Samuel not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times God comes to call Samuel. He doesn't give up the first time, second time, third time, or... F- Four times God comes for Samuel. And so my question for you as you kinda stop and pause and reflect right now is Is your view of God that He is passionately pursuing you? That He wants to know you, wants to be known by you or not? Is that your view of God? Great thing to think about. Again uh, intersection of an old year and a new year, old decade, new decade. One of the phrases that you hear in the popular press or the media, which a lot of things are said about kind of faith and Christians, and a lot of it kind of just goes over my head. It doesn't bother me. But one of the ones that really annoys me when I hear it is that phrase that people are God botherers. People bother God. And I think that is, I just find that irritating because it is the total opposite of the God of the Bible. A God who steps out of eternity into time. A God who became flesh him a baby at christmas revealed himself to us and we see that aspect of god here that god came back for samuel four times god is passionately passionately pursuing you a verse that kind of echoes this is in revelations 320 and this is a verse that's often quoted and it's often used to talk about kind of people who don't know jesus at all coming to know jesus whereas if you read this chunk of the Bible that it's in, it's actually words that Jesus is saying to a church in a place called Laodicea in Turkey. It's words that Jesus is saying to a bunch of Christians, a bunch of people who are in church already. And he's saying, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear, let me in and I will come in. It's a great it's a great great invitation so as we come to the end of the 20, 20 teens end of the decade as we look to forward, to the, forward to the 2020s a new decade great question to ask so when did you really hear God speaking to you this year this decade have you and if you have how did you respond what did you say back And as you go into the new year, will your life patterns and life choices facilitate God speaking to you more or less? What will you do? What choices will you make going into the new year? And if you're going to make choices for God to speak to you, will you do that so he can talk to you regularly? Because the invitation is there. The question is whether we want to hear it and respond to it or not. As we come towards the end, I don't know what your life has been like last year. I don't know your situation. I don't know if maybe you're like me. You're that super busy Christian who's got a lot going on and lots of, lots of spinning plates in their lives. I don't know if that's you. Last night, I was well, last, yesterday morning, I was in bed with my wife. Don't worry, clean story, clean story. And uh, she asked me a question which, having been married for 17 and a half, 18 years now, I could, my first thought was, "This is an ambush." And the question that Lynn asked me was, Shagan, what is your work-life balance like?" And I thought, "I'm leaving that alone, because that's me. I'm that person who is super busy, got a lot, lots, lots going on. I don't know if that's you. I don't know if you're that person who is in the, a desert spiritually." Uh, and just having a t- just no no sense of God and is that because you're living a lifestyle of rebellion of perpetual persistent disobedience or is it because you're just in a tough place you need to keep going I don't know or maybe you're here tonight and you've never ever at any point said yeah this Jesus guy I want to give him a go on it I want to accept him I want to accept what he says I want to invite him into my life but I want to invite you tonight as we come towards the end of this decade, this year, to stop, think, reflect, and commit to going forward with God. Two challenges for you. Two challenges. The first one is to take time at some point in the next week or two or three to review some of these questions and have a think about them. Make the half an hour, 45 minutes, 15 minutes to just stop and ask yourself some of these questions, some of these deep questions that I ask myself and and they're so important. Try and do it before the fasting week because I think that would then lead you potentially into committing during the fasting week to work through some of this stuff. And as God speaks to you, you can use the fasting week as a launch pad for the next year, for the next decade possibly to reset, to refocus, recharge, repent, whatever you need to do to do business with God. I hope you all have a fantastic new year when it comes, a new decade when it comes, and I hope that God does great things in you, around you, through you in 2020.